Hello, welcome to Blades Pod. It is Tuesday, the 17th of April. My name is Ben. I'm, of course, a Sheffield United fan, and joining me once again is another Sheffield United fan. Hello, Jay. How are you doing? I'm all right, Ben. How are you, and how are people? Yep, I'm very good. I can't speak for everybody else, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I, I get the sense the mood uh, among among United fans uh, this week is kind of, I don't know, it's maybe less despondent than I was expecting. Uh, slightly more upbeat, maybe a little bit more, a little bit resigned to, you know, the likelihood that we are probably almost certainly going to be playing championship football again next season. But I think uh, an acceptance that that is... Uh, is still a, a, a pretty damn good season, I guess. Um, so, the, I mean, the last time we spoke was, uh, it was just after the draw with Cardiff uh, and just before the Barnsley game. Uh, so in, in this span, we've, we've played Barnsley, which was a, a 3-2 defeat. Uh, we played Millsborough at home, where we won uh, 2-1. Uh, and then we have the game against Millwall this weekend, which was a one-all draw. So, um, yeah, you, you were at the Barnsley game. Is, is there anything you want to... Uh, you want to mention from that one, or do you want to just skip over it? Um, <laughs> cough, cough. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the twenty minutes in the second half were fantastic. Yeah, um, I've genuinely not seen us be much better for twenty minutes in any game this this season. I'm not, we completely dominated the side. It looked like we should have had six or seven, um, and that is probably the best twenty minutes of John Fleck's career. Yeah. Um, even though he's been very good in many other games as well. So I, I just, I guess, the shout out for Fleck. Uh, I think enough has been said about the Barnsley game. It, w- it was quite a while ago in terms of games now as the games come thick and fast. Um, yeah, I, I think there's better better and more salient things to talk about. Yeah, fair enough. We can move on pretty quickly from that one then. I mean, I was, uh, I was not at this one. I was watching it on a uh, <clears throat> stream. Um, and yeah, as you say, uh, that that sort of twenty minutes, United just completely destroyed them, and it was you know we were just playing inside their eighteen yard box basically. You know, it was just shots, chances, corners, and then we went two one ahead. Um, and then some inconsiderate person rang my doorbell, so I went and answered the door. I came back and it was two all, and I was like, "What on earth has happened here? How how have we managed to concede?" And then from there, yeah, the uh, we didn't really we didn't really uh, exert our dominance again, and ended up giving away a, a sort of sucker punch goal i guess so yeah that was uh that was a big hit to our promotion chances um and then we played middlesbrough in in what was kind of uh i guess everybody kind of feeling that this game was a bit do or die and you know this is if we don't if we don't win this game then uh we're cooked basically you know even a draw is is bad um and uh yeah the pressure was all on but we we definitely turned up in this one or at least turned up with a a game-winning 45 minutes, uh, which we then made slightly hard work for ourselves in the second half. I think. Do you, do you reckon that's a, a fair summary? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could you could see the first 45 was again fantastic, uh, outrageous to outplay that Middlesbrough side that by that much. Mm. Um, I, we'll talk about individuals, I guess, in a minute, very briefly. But yeah, it was it was a big contrast, wasn't it, between first and second half? I think the second half. Anyone trying to relate that to any kind of trend of, of United performances this year, just no, discredit that opinion. It was just sheer nerves of the situation, um, the, the, the must-win nature of that game. I think that hit the lands in the second half, especially because Middlesbrough scored so early. Mm. Um, and it just, I think it hit everyone that if we draw this game, it is over. And panic set in, composure got lost on the ball, a little bit of shape and kind of tactical mouse got lost and it was more just hang on in there and we did that which was nice because we haven't done that 
much um, <laughs> in games like that this year. So it was nice to do that and see that through, and it certainly set up a, a huge Saturday against Millwall, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, we as you kind of mentioned, we we have been hit with some uh, sucker punch late goals this season, of which the you know we saw firsthand with Cardiff and uh, and Barnsley in our previous two games. So. Yeah, we to fact, the fact we actually kind of closed this one out was um, was was very satisfying and is something that I think is worth remembering. I mean, I was um, uh, I can't remember who it was, unfortunately, but there was somebody I was talking with on Twitter about this, and you know, he was kind of asking, "Oh, do United concede more late goals than most of the teams?" And the actual, the answer is actually no. We're we're quite far down the league in uh, in goals conceded after eighty minutes, but it, the fact is that we. As fans, we always remember those late goals. You know, we remember the sucker punch late goals. We don't remember these games, you know, against Leeds, for example, or um, or this one against Middlesbrough, where we, you know, we actually we were ahead late on and we, we actually did manage to to hold on to it. But um, yeah, I, th- I thought this Borough game was kind of uh, it was kind of a microcosm of our season in a way. Uh, you know, in that we were we were playing a team who've who spent an absolute fortune, uh, who have some phenomenal players who were in. Decent-ish form that you know they weren't exactly Millwall or or Wolves level of form, but you know they were in the top six, and we basically hammered them for forty-five minutes. You know they they couldn't handle it. So I know they were down to ten men for um, you know, a long period of the game, but that was forced by our good football being able to sort of you know get round them, get through them. Uh, we would have had probably a, a goal of the season from from Clark if he'd finished, which would, it was like the culmination of a a very long and fantastic passing move. Uh, and of course, we scored two fun, phenomenal goals uh, ourselves from from Lee Evans. But um, yeah, and then kind of that really strong forty-five minutes, but not able to sort of. I guess it, I hate this phrase of like making it harder for ourselves because I feel like I feel like every every team's fan says, "Oh, we always do it the hard way." I, I always remember yeah. seeing Manu fans in the nineties like, "Oh, the thing with Man United is we always do it the hard way as we're winning the Premier League and the Champions League and everything." It's like. Shut up! But <laughs> but there has been a few times this season where uh, United have definitely uh, I don't know I don't know how to explain it. Taking your foot off the gas is not the not the right phrase, but it's sort of like we should have closed this game much more quickly and somehow let the opposition back into it. And that's essentially what happened here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. As I say before, a lot of that was nerves as well because we we have let teams back in it in the second half. But while still playing decent, whereas that game we were very poor in the second half. Yeah, um, and I, I think again, I, I do think a lot of that was 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 nervousness. Um, players who had played so well in the first half just lost the plot in the second half, and there was no real structure to how we were playing or method. It was very much we we went a hell of a lot more direct than we normally do, but without purpose. It was more just clearing it rather than clearing it to a target and into space. Mm. Um, and we just invited the pressure. We couldn't. I don't want to spend too much time because we won the game and it was good, but we couldn't deal with the middles of the press either. I think Tony Pulis had obviously just directed them to just charge down as every opportunity. There was It was a complete press all over the pitch and mm. every time someone charged at anyone with the ball, we just lost composure um, and, and then tried to play in areas we shouldn't. So the back three got caught playing it sometimes and uh, that, that was obviously the only way Middlesbrough was going to score from an error from us. But we did see it out and actually in the last 10 minutes when the the long throws were coming in from uh, who's Middlesbrough's long throw guy? Is it Shotton, the right back? Yes. Yeah, yeah Ryan Shotton. Yeah, thank you for that, mate. Yeah, and the long throws were coming in and the kind of long balls from the back and they stuck Ayala up front as well. There was some great aerial headers worn and the Blades actually defended that out quite well. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I guess we'd be rem- Yeah, I just want to say, I guess we'd be remiss 
not just the goal, but to talk about Lee Evans's contrasting performance from his Barnsley half an hour to his Middlesbrough game. Yeah, um, indeed. The, whatever Chris Wilder does as a manager is genius and they should bottle it and sell it. <laughs> that player who played against Barnsley was nowhere near the same player against Borough. I mean, the two goals themselves were just un- unbelievable and them alone without anything else would have been probably enough for a man of the match. Mm. Never mind the fact that he hit 98 passes, which no United player has got near 100 this year. Mm. That, that was almost 20 more than anyone else on the pitch. People might say a lot of these are either sideways or easy passes. Well, he actually hit 12 long passes and seven of them were accurate. Mm. Um, and out of those 98, 35 were forward. Right, this, okay. This, this is a this is you know this is a guy who passed with with purpose and with accuracy, um, and he actually set up the the through ball as well for that brilliant passing move that Leon just passed back to their keeper. Yeah, no, I, if anyone can't remember that, please rewatch it. It was like thirty five passes from back to front. Lundstrom and Evans involved, Baldock involved, Brooks involved. They play in you know Leon Clark brilliantly, perfect angle to bend it around the keeper, and he just passes it back to him. Yeah, I mean the, um, the keeper was so surprised he uh, he just sort of kicked it away rather than just like, he probably could have controlled yeah. it or, or you know certainly picked it up. But I, th- I think it is uh, it's worth pointing out that uh, Middlesbrough had the full eleven men on the pitch at that point as well. And we were you know we were just running rings around them at that stage. But yeah, let, let's definitely pay some lip service to those two uh, those two Evans goals because. I mean that first one. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that as a United fan. I mean, I was I was lucky enough to be at the lane when uh, Michael Brown scored his very famous goal against Sheffield Wednesday. And you know, this may be controversial, but I I think this Evans goal was technically better. I've, I don't know how he did it. I mean, it's the ball What's is that? sort of twenty meters in the air. He has to run, you know, probably about that distance to get on the end of it, and then he just just casually side foots a volley at probably 60 mile an hour straight into the top corner. I've no idea how he did that at all. It was, it was an unbelievable bit of technique. And, um, you know, as it happens, um, the championship went a bit bananas for great goals this week. <laughs> of course, with uh, Grealish uh, wanged in a, a quality strike against Leeds and then that, that Neves goal um, against Derby was, was also unbelievable. But I, I, would make, I would make the case for Evans being slightly better. I mean, I think the thing with, with Neves is there's a bit like... It is an incredible goal, but it is also like he's just trying to hit the target with a looping volley, essentially. And yeah, yeah, Evans has gone for that ridiculous amount of placement that probably one in a thousand will end up where it's ended up. But yeah, that that to me just makes it um, uh, an even more special goal. I think it was uh, yeah, it was really something. This is again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's just a, it's a game, isn't it? But. This is the difference, I guess, between an English fan and a continental fan. My God, I'm actually going there. So Evans has got Neves and Evans's goals both made it around the world on social media, and I, I follow some continental scouts and analysts on Twitter, mm. and they're all tweeting Evans's goals, saying this is the best technique they've seen mm. on a strike. But as you say, he's 40, 45 yards out on a side foot volley, and he absolutely arrows it into the top bin, and that's clearly where he meant to put it. This isn't like he's just levered it. Mm. and it's gone somewhere. He's literally picked out the inch place that that can go in and mm. put it there. Neves, brilliant strike. He miscontrols it, though, let's be honest. That's the only yes. reason the ball's up there. <laughs> he did not mean to flick that ball up. That should have been on the floor. And then mm. Grealish, is, again, he picks a spot, it, it, which is great, but it, it's only from the edge of the box. I say only like I do that in training. No, of course I don't. <laughs> Maybe but on FIFA. Ever, uh, not even on them, mate. But... <laughs> 
Evans' distance is just, and it's the fact that it was like the second minute of the game. It's just yeah. outstanding. And the uh, I think the sort of <laughs> this is kind of how I reacted to it as well, but uh, certainly watching it again, you know, you can hear the crowd. It's like it's not the usual sort of roar of a goal. It's almost like an oh of like what on earth just happened there? Like, how has he managed to do that? Like, I don't even know what I'm seeing here. I mean, it was such a surprise from, I mean, as you say, from the performance against Barnsley just three or four days earlier where he was subbed off after half an hour and then suddenly two minutes into his next appearance he's just wanged that in from, yeah, 25, 30 yards or so. So, yeah, that was it was amazing. Uh, his second goal was um, technique-wise, I think, arguably as you know not far off as impressive and came from a short corner routine just in case anybody thinks that we you know always waste our corners uh where brooks you know <laughs> pulls off that fantastic turn great ball back and then yeah a, a more controlled uh volley from evans but another brilliant strike really and um yeah i think those two goals were good value for um or, or rather, they were fair reward for how we were playing, really. But to actually get some fantastic goals ourselves, rather than just conceding them all the time, was uh, was very pleasing. Yeah, definitely. I know a Middlesbrough fan, and not to continue the humour theme, God forbid a stat podcast become humour, but uh, <laughs> I know a Middlesbrough fan who was there, sat right and right down the bottom, um, and he said, I can't, I can't remember the name of the defender. It was who Brooks sat down, but he basically said that defender's still sliding to Borough now. That's <laughs> yeah. Their fans all around them almost applauded it just for Brooks's turn, which was just fantastic. And it, it, it goes to show the talent of the boy in a five-second clip, you know, to be so two-footed, to turn someone on their right foot with a Cruyff and then just chip a, a perfectly you know, positioned and weighted ball on his left foot. The, the, the boy is such a talent. And, and as you say, Evans' technique as well, because the difference with that one was there's a big crowd of bodies in the middle, mm. with it being from a corner. So, you, you know, he's thought, he hasn't just walloped this either, he's thought about it and he's got over the top of it and drilled it low and hard into the bottom corner. So, I think there's no denying, you can see with Evans from the first game he had with us, that his technique is so sound. He, he strikes the ball much cleaner, I think, than most people in the team. Mm. Um, you know, if he wants it to go 60 yards in their direction, it goes that way. There's, there's no veering off of the ball. It's often just with Evans that I found so far, and this small sample we've had, is he's neat and tidy. But what else can he do? Can he do that? You know, can he provide the output, that input that that we need from a midfielders that we're not getting at the minute, which is goals, assists. Mm. Um, they asked John Fletcher overall in the season, and as I'm writing, you know, without a shameless plug, as I'm writing my article on our chances going to, you know make us fail the playoffs and I'm writing a little bit about midfielders need to add goals. He bangs in two perfect goals and I'm thinking I'm just going to tear this up at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we sort of, uh, you know, you said there about like kind of expanding his game a little bit. And I think that I do sort of feel that that carried forward into the Millwall game as well, which is a, a good point to segue onto that where he, uh, he went pretty close in the first half with a, you know, a, a good strike from 25 yards or so. You know, when I say a good strike, I mean he, you know, got great contact. The placement was uh, was was decent. You know, he tried to pick out the bottom right hand corner as he looked and was probably a yard or so wide. You know, close enough that the goalkeeper was um, was really scrambling across. And then he, he hit the target from a uh, a much more difficult kind of position in the second half as well. From again from about 25 yards out, that had a bit of swerve on it, and the keeper had to you know get both hands to it and push it over the bar. So. Yeah, feels like um, there's there's quite a bit more to come from Evans, which uh, I think we talked about this last time. You know, it feels like our, our midfield is in a a pretty strong place heading into next season, or certainly provides a 
a good base that we can potentially upgrade on a little more. But right now, it looks like a good championship midfield, I think. But um, yeah, let, let's talk a bit about the Millwall game then. So um, this obviously finished one all, uh, a hard, um, well contested game. I think. I mean, I really felt leaving the ground that um, a draw was a fair result. I thought you know Blackman made some some very good saves. Uh, Millwall looked really dangerous every pretty much every corner they had you know they kept they kept finding a bit of space i mean some of it was kind of uh i guess bending the rules a little bit but you know having established that the referee wasn't going to pick up on things like you know holds and blocks and stuff like that then you know they kind of rode that tactic out and it almost paid dividends for them but yeah so i I felt it was like a really even game but then when i come to look at the look at the highlights and look at the kind of uh, expected goals timeline on it you realize that united once again some fantastic chances which we we didn't manage to to take and um yeah again another game that we we should have won really uh, as you know good as millwall were i think that's is that 16 or 17 games unbeaten now uh we were more than a match for them uh, and but for some slightly better finishing and one moment of just complete defensive um i don't know whether you what you can call it almost malpractice to be honest um yeah we we would have won that game uh, and we'd be probably, I think we'd be level on points on them and just slightly behind on goal difference. But yeah, is is that kind of, I mean, yeah, so I, I was obviously there, but did you, did you kind of feel watching it like, oh, we've, this is a big missed opportunity. We've once again missed loads of chances and should have won the game or did you kind of feel it was pretty even as well? No, I, I think that's fair, but I think a lot of people probably, uh, certainly the social media reaction in my personal opinion was that it was quite a, a fair result. I don't, I wouldn't say it was 50-50. I think it changed the game, in, in my opinion. Um, so, so a 1-0 win wouldn't have also been unlucky to Millwall. But, you know, when they scored and it, it, they then had a period where I thought they could win it. They had, obviously, the incident at the end with the bashing penalty. And I agree, both managers agreed that should have been a penalty. Mm. Um, I, I, again, not to tangent off, I think the Evans won in the first half, uh, sorry, in the second half, which looked like a dive. But on reflection, there was some contact could have been. That was... A bit a little less obvious, but yeah, I think overall, I, I came out of that game thinking that's that's probably about right. Um, and then as the results went on later in the day, that isn't that bad almost. Mm. Uh, I wasn't despondent because Derby obviously lost and uh, Borough beat Bristol City, which is probably not a bad thing because um, I think Middlesbrough do have the quality to maybe push on, whereas Bristol City we play them still, so to have them around us could be a good a good thing. Mm. Um, but then, as I say, I, I was at home very ill watching it in bed. Um, so I had a little scrap of paper with me and I'm just doing the just a very rough chance quality based off my little scores that I have for my model. And I looked at my paper, added up, and I was like, geez, Sheffield United, you know, two, 2.1 XG, Millwall 0.9, we should have bossed that game. Mm. Um, it, it does just come down to those those moments. This is where expected goals is a good measure. Mm. You know, that game looked even in, in many departments. You know, I'm sure territory and tackles and possession and, and efforts on goal, it was quite even. Um, but in terms of the chances that we had, they might not have impacted you as the most quality, but the Baldock one, the Billy Sharp one, you know, to, to win it at the end. Uh, Leon had a couple. Again, we should be winning games. Um, and it, I guess that's where the frustration comes in. Uh, yet another game goes by where we outperform a team in terms of what we're creating and the quality of our play and overall possession, but we're not turning that into three. Yeah. Um, so it was it was frustrating reviewing that at the end and then obviously seeing where we would have been at the end of the day. But I'm not despondent about it because I do think I, I was thinking going into that game, 
is this Millwall team aside that have gone 16 unbeaten? Do, you know, and after the game, I thought I can see why they are now 17 unbeaten. Um, they were they were a tough side to play against. They they battle hard in the midfield. They have got some good players. I thought the lad Jed Wallace uh, had a lot of pace uh, every time he ran with the ball. And Ben yeah. Marshall as well. I hate to say it next next Wednesday, but he was very good as well. And Morrison and Gregory up front. They work hard. They might not be the uh, the most technical of people, but they certainly do a job. And and that's you know I think two of our hardest games this year have been against Millwall. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, um, especially want to. Uh, just name check um, Gregory and, uh, and Morrison. There, Gregory always seems to uh, always seems to cause us problems. Uh, Morrison is, uh, I mean, he looks he looks old enough to be my dad, which is um, is saying something. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, him and him and Gregory just uh, it felt like they just won every every header and you know controlled every clearance. I mean, as you say, they Millwall were just really well set up. You know, there were no like. There were no sort of smashing it up the pitch and hoping for the best. It was, you know, it's, it, if they were forced to to clear the ball, it was cleared into an area where one of their strikers would be. You know, it wasn't just like, geez, just get rid of it up the field as quickly as we can. It was, this is a ball yeah. out to the left channel where Gregor Morrison is going to be and he's going to control it. And then we're going to be 50 yards up the field with the ball under control and or we've won a throw and won a corner, etc. So, yeah, as you say, I could I could definitely see why they are on this run. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're probably better than them. You know, we just couldn't. Yeah, no. We just couldn't do the business. You know, we, we probably, or maybe, maybe a, a fairer thing to say is we probably should be better than them based on our, the quality of our attack. But yeah, it's just not. Well, maybe not the quality of attack, but the quality of attacking chances we create. But yeah, we just can't put the whole performance together at the moment. And I think that's ultimately what's uh, what's cost us. Yeah, no, definitely. I think if we if we put a lot of ninety minute performances together, like we've shown glimpses of recently, we've we've been near the top of the league, mm. and that, that's not bias either. That is, you look at metrics. If we were performing these forty five minute, these twenty minute periods over ninety or at least seventy or eighty, we'd be third or fourth. Yeah. Uh, quite easy. I don't think we'd be up there with Fulham, Cardiff, Wolves, uh, Wolves, but you know, definitely above where we're are probably comfortably in the playoffs. That that's that cannot be denied. Yeah, it, it, but. Clear, clear, clear indication of what you said there, Ben, and it, it backs up what you said. It's a very good point. People get the impression with teams like Millwall that because they play direct football, it, it's just lumped up and the strikers have to battle for it and work hard. And I've seen a lot of fans saying we'd love a striker like Lee Gregory. Uh, you know, probably would love Morrison because he's old, maybe not. Mm. You know, uh, Gregory over Sharp and Clark, you know, because he works harder and things like this. But it, it's completely false that what yeah. you said is bang on the nail. This is a side that play with a purpose. So, in terms of percentage of, of playing in your opposition territory, the final third, as it were, the, the, the first team in the league at that, the team that have the highest percentage is Cardiff, mm. who play a direct style. We're second in the league with our possession-based style and our build-up. And then the third highest team, are Millwall. Mm. So the two teams who you associate with direct football and, and some fans who are maybe a bit biased might say long ball football and playing percentages... It's not. It, this is planned. This is planned on the training ground. There's a reason Steve Morrison won 11 headers on Saturday, which was more than anyone else on the pitch. Yeah, you know that he he's uh, he's in the area where they're aiming for. It's as simple as that, and it's playing to their strengths, which are much better than anyone else's in the league at what they do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, full credit to them for identifying that, sticking with it, and um, yeah, pulling it off. I mean, as you say, yeah, with with Gregory, I mean. You know, he, he he does seem to be a a decent championship striker. But let's say we we drop Lee Gregory into our team. I mean, does he score as many as Clark and Sharp? I mean, 
basic stats. Basic not. stats. Now he's got a less goals per minute ratio than Sharp and Clark. Mm. His XG is lower than Clark, not lower than Sharp, but that's overall XG. So that is slightly skewed by minutes played. Right. Uh, if I did XG per ninety, I think that'd be close. Goals per ninety, Clark and Sharp are better. Mm. Uh, missed chances. Steve Morrison and Lee Gregory are technically as bad as big missed chances as Clark and Sharp are. Mm. Because Millwall have actually created quite a lot of big big chances and missed them as well. Yeah. Again, again I think that falls into kind of you get what you pay for maybe at strikers at some point, which we, we touched on the, on the last pod we did. Mm. Uh, sometimes these strikers that perform very well uh, but aren't kind of the high-value strikers who've done it over the years don't have that technique, that quality that's consistent. Um, but... I don't know. I, I can I can understand an argument for a striker like Gregory who, who clearly works hard. Uh, he his recoveries are higher than Clark and Sharp, so he re, he presses the ball better. Uh, he wins more duels than Clark and Sharp, so again that's area land in kind of fifty fifty challenges. He's clearly a little bit quicker. Mm. I'm not saying we're going to sign Lee Gregory. I'm just saying I, I could understand the slight clamour for him, but. Yeah, I think there's a bigger picture with this whole striker argument and we have to be slightly careful what we wish for. We've got 30 goals out of two strikers, um, which most teams in this league would cry out for yeah. and pay millions of pounds for. So I think we need to be slightly careful about what we're levelling at uh, two players who've clearly performed far and above what would be expected of them. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I, I guess just to finish that point off, I mean, I think it's just simplistic to say like, oh, if we had Lee Gregory, we'd be in the playoffs as well. I mean, you know, maybe we would be. Maybe he would be worth a, you know, an extra win or two along the way. But you know, the 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 level of ability uh, difference between him and what we have at the moment is is probably negligible, I would say, and certainly based on the you know the stats you just threw out there. Um, it's just that he fits the way that Millwall are playing perfectly. Um, but if you dropped him into the way that we play, it would probably be, at best, a kind of marginal improvement, I guess. Which is, you know, marginal improvements are good things. That's, you know, that's that's marginal gains as a whole sort of sporting philosophy. But, you know, you don't really want a marginal gain for the six, seven, ten million, God knows how much it'd actually cost to sign him if Gary Medine is worth six million. But anyway, there's another Gary Medine slag off there just to lob in. Um all right, so let's move on then. So we've got uh, we've got three games left. Uh, I mean, what's, what's your kind of overall thoughts on our situation? Um, personally, I think we've just let too many points slip, and I, I think this is um, this is kind of a key thing about these last five games, which I think is I think is Easter onwards. So the the Brentford game onwards, we've been ahead in all of these five games, and, and uh, further to that, I think we've been ahead going into the last fifteen or twenty minutes. And yet we've got just six points out of those five games, which is, um, yeah, unforgivable, really. And I, I think off the back of that, we've yeah, we've just let too many points slip. And I, I really think even if we win our last three games, which, you know, you'd have to say is, is a bit of a stretch, then that might not actually be enough to get in the playoffs anyway, as our, our goal difference is quite a bit worse than, than many of our other teams. But are, are you slightly more optimistic or are you, uh, are you, are you more pessimistic slash realistic on that? I'm split. Um <laughs> The stats part of me, the numbers part of me says no. Um, percentage is just, I, I know you'll probably quote Ben Mayhew on that. I, I just, I wouldn't pretend to have a model like that, but you just look at where we are in the league, the points available, and the points available to those above us, even though they are playing each other. And statistics, percentages wise, we're not going to make it. Mm. Um, like in logical, applying a bit of logic to it. Yes, the teams above us are playing each other, so they will take points off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if one team dominates those games, uh, for example, Middlesbrough, I'm not saying they will, but if they win 
those games with the teams around them, um, then yes, that's going to put teams on zero points. If we're picking up three points, then we're making three points every time. Mm. Um, I think we're probably going to run out of games overall. And we don't, fans are, are saying, oh, well, if we win three, if we win three, we, we, we haven't got easy fixtures either. No. Um, <laughs> let's be honest, Birmingham away at this time of the season is a, as difficult a game as you can imagine because they're fighting for their life. Mm. And we don't, you know, we last won away away at Reading uh, and our, we're not particularly that good away this year. That That's just fact. We're not yeah. bad. We're mid-table, but we're not great away. So it's not a dependable away form to hit on. Um, then we've got Preston at home. I fancy us to beat Preston at home, but they're in this race as well. So this is, you know, that's all to play for. And then Bristol City away, which, you know, again, I mean, that's a coin flip last game yeah. of the season, but it's probably not a place you want to go to. Um, so we don't have the easiest fixtures. Uh, I don't, I don't personally think that if we were to get in, that nine would be needed. Mm. I, I actually think we'd get away with six or seven because of the fact that the others are playing each other. If Millwall get nine points out of their remaining fixtures, they deserve to be promoted to the Premier League. Yeah, so they're... Can you remember their last three games? It's like Fulham, Villa and Borough or something, isn't it? They've got Fulham at home, Borough, Borough away and Villa at home. Yeah, so that's so, uh, I mean, that is pretty tough. I think Fulham at home is on Friday night. Right. I think I'm pretty sure that's this Friday night coming. Um, so we'll know <laughs> basically on the Friday what's happened with those guys. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to be honest. I, I, I might be very wrong, and I'll put my neck on the block. I think Derby are shot now. They've lost to Burton. See, this is uh, this is the one thing that uh, that gives me a little bit of hope. It's that. Suddenly, there's not just one playoff spot up for grabs. There's actually two because Derby are continuing this nosedive. Where, you know, about a month ago, um, you, you know, you threw some stats out there that was like, yeah, yeah, Dar- yeah Derby are on a slide, but actually they're playing as well as they've done all season, and this is going to turn around. Well, it hasn't turned around, and they got hammered no. by Sunderland. Uh, they got a bit of a beating off uh, off Burton of all people this weekend, um, and yeah, they they must be panicking like like mad i suppose at the moment that suddenly they're you know they're going to just suddenly slip out of there so yeah that that is my one little bit of uh, optimism i guess is that there may be two spots for us and that i guess as you say that could be um cause for where actually six or seven points does the business and not the on a, cave- on a caveat to that though there's now more teams who can get in because i think we all Bridget. discounted brentford um and looking at their fixtures hull at home forest away uh, sorry, QPR at home, Barnsley away and Hull at home. Yeah. They're getting nine points out of that. Maybe Barnsley away, you could argue. And QPR are bad, they can score, but Brentford will get nine. I think Brentford will get nine. Um, that, that could be enough for them, even though they're you know that extra point away and they're on form as well. Mm. Um, you know, So it has it has given us an extra spot, but it's also dragged in an extra team. Yeah, yeah. Derby, was just, Derby was just so weird. I, I never claim that stats are fact and they're going to happen, but... Their performance levels were just were just fine. They just weren't quite getting the results. But I think that's just that shows how at this time this season we can all quote any stat we want, but it doesn't really mean anything because there's other factors in play. Mm. You know, pre- pre- pressure gets to players in different ways, um, and at Derby it just seems to be a vortex they get sucked into after Christmas where they just forget how to play football. Yeah, indeed. Just as simple as that. Yeah. Um... I mean, you mentioned uh, Ben Mayhew's um, predictive model there as well. So just in case people don't know what we're talking about here, this is off the website, Experimental 361. Um, and it's essentially a, a model that predicts where teams are going to finish based on uh, you know, 
the situation right now and their remaining fixtures. And I think before the Barnsley game, his model had us with a, um, it was around a 30% shot making the playoffs. And then that took a massive dive after that game. And it's, it currently sits below 10%, I think. So, um, yeah, and, and the bookies would, um, would agree with that as well from what I saw. I think our, our latest odds are a nine to one to make the playoffs. So essentially a one in 10 chance as it is at the moment, which I, I think is probably fair. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, Letting those points slip has, has kind of um, probably killed us, I guess. But I mean, yeah, just I do, to... I do think, though, Ben. Sorry, yeah. I, I do no, no, think that, that percentage, which is obviously it is what it is. It's fact. Ben's got a fantastic model for that. Please go check his website out if you haven't already. It's brilliant, brilliant read um, to read all the various things on there. But those percentages can seem really, really good or really poor. However, they fluctuate. They're going to fluctuate so much on a game by game basis. Yeah. So this weekend. Derby are playing Borough. I mean, admittedly, Derby are at home, but at the minute, I wouldn't like them to win that, possibly draw. Um, but if Borough go there and win and Millwall lose to Fulham and then we beat Birmingham, I can guarantee that percentage is up to 30 40%, maybe even higher mm. considering the fixed left. So it's very true. That is where we are at now. And yeah, I'm not swing. counting the points against Birmingham, but it, it's very much a, it's that tied game by game. This is going to swing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is in some ways it is a reflection of the the bookies' odds, isn't it? Because ours will, uh, if if that situation plays out, then yeah, suddenly we'll go from nine to one odds to you know six or five or something like that. So yeah, definitely all hope not lost, but um, yeah, pretty pretty long longish shot right now. I think. Um, yeah. What was I going to talk about next? Uh, oh, yeah, that was it. I just, just want to quickly come back to something you said about, um, you know, putting together this kind of complete performance. Um, you know, some of our 45, 60 minutes have been unbelievable. And then we've kind of just let it let it slip for one reason or another. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not a manager, uh, unsurprisingly, um, or at least not a football manager. Um, but it, it, it does, well, apart from, of course, playing football manager. So maybe I'll have some <laughs> qualification there. Um, but yeah, that that feels to me like something that can be fixed without too much difficulty. Like, as in, or at least it's feasible to be fixed. That idea of like, guys, look how great you are for 45, 60 minutes. Here's some adjustments we're going to make to make sure that actually happens. I mean, we talked about in the in the past that, you know, we've kind of, our game management has not been too clever and that's kind of let teams back into it. Or, you know, we've just had stupid moments that have been, where we've been punished, etc. So, you know, that feels... I'd much rather be in this situation where we're going, blimey, look how great we are for an hour if we could just turn this into a complete performance, you know, than a a, perform- than a, a kind of team where it's like, oh, hey, lads, we're just going to have to hang on in there and hope we can nick a goal. So, yeah, my, my roundabout point here is that I'm quite encouraged by that in that it feels like something that a manager of Wilder's quality will be able to fix, whether that's through you know, mentality, game management, or, or just recruiting, you know, slightly better players, I guess. So, yeah, even if we do miss out, I feel like we're in a good good place going into next season, I reckon. Yeah, I, I think it's a very fair point. The, certainly the team aspect of it, you know, these, these performances where individuals are playing well um, for, for 60 minutes, as a team, sorry, are playing well for 60 minutes, but not quite completing 90. I think the, the hard part of that comes in a, a, as it was against Millwall, which was, as the team couldn't have done much more, it was an individual error. Mm. Um, and I'm pinpointing a man who I have fervently defended on Twitter this week. Um, <laughs> but there's no denying that that is very hard to fix because I'm not sure as a manager or, or an analyst, or a performance analyst, as a coaching staff, what they can do to improve the decision-making in that isolated moment. That is just someone making a very poor decision 
um, and it's led to a goal. Yeah. We don't do that often. We're not high on, on defensive errors that lead to goals, despite what some fans may think. We're, mm. we're near the bottom of the league on that in terms of we have the, some of the lower numbers. So, oh, interesting. That, you know, so I don't think fans should get that narrative going. Um, we're normally quite solid uh, in terms of errors. It's more kind of goals going in against us that you can't pinpoint. Um, but yeah, that, that, that would be, I'm not saying that's a concern, but that is my only issue because I think that's where there is a lot of narrative out there that, you know, what replacements would we have if we could, for example? Um, mm. uh, and this is where this, this budget question is going to come in because to replace our current players, I think we need quite a lot of money because they've now proved their worth. And I think guess their value in this current market would be decent now. Mm. Um, I think that that's that's where we're, we're stuck at. We have a left wing back who, not just a pinpoint ender, but for the example on Saturday, who came on a free transfer from League Two after winning League Two. He's never sustainably played at this level for a very long time. He's been asked to put in more work than many other full fullback slash wingbacks in the Championship, and he's just made an error because he found himself in a, a left centre half channel rather than a left back channel. Um, that's his fault. I'm not saying that's ta- tactical, but that's why the error occurred. Mm. Um, but that, that is the case. He is a free transfer, so he's going. He, he's got errors in his game. That's why he was at Portsmouth and didn't make the grade at Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we need to see our squad at. I think expectations were raised so high um, of this team from early season. There's nothing wrong with that, and they do perform exceptionally well. But there's players in this squad that have failed uh, before for reasons. And I'm not saying these reasons can't be coached out of them or improved out of them, but right now that's where they're at. Yeah, uh, I guess that's why I cut them a little bit of slack. And I think that uh, you've made a very good point, and that's why I'm trying to just expand on it, which is this can be fixed. But I think we need to, to give people an opportunity to fix it uh, and not just focus on in, in errors that an individual makes in one game and, and not reflect on what they've given us for a whole season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was, um, <clears throat> this, seeing as we're just talking about this Millwall goal, this was a really strange kind of situation, the way this arose up. Uh, it was a bit of a head scratcher for me. Usually, I, I kind of get what Wilde is doing, even when it's a bit, uh, <clears throat> I guess, a bit out the box or a bit more adventurous. Um, so, I mean, a, a great example of that would be in that Middlesbrough game where um, they were down to ten men. Uh, we were protecting a lead at this point. Uh, we took off Jake Wright, I believe it was, and brought on Mark Duffy. So you sort of go like, "Hang about what? We were protecting a lead, and we've taken off." One of our central defenders, obviously Stearman is out, um, and brought on an attacking midfielder. Like, how, how does that work? But obviously the logic is we're going to switch to a back four, we're going to match you up man for man, and we're going to have more control in midfield, and we're going to ideally have more of the ball away from our goal, and we'll essentially defend as we've done most of this season. We'll defend by having the ball. So that yeah, I, got, one... I, got, I got that a bit differently. Oh, go on then. <clears throat> that was interesting. I got that a bit differently. Um, I, I saw that as, as claims fame as what Wilder said after, which was, the centre halves had completely lost the plot and weren't doing their overlapping, underlapping runs. Oh, okay. So the, the formation completely lost effect in the second half in terms of how we penetrate and, and own the ball. There was mm. no options because they weren't doing what they should be doing because they were scared to get forward. Um, whether that's through mistakes or tightness, I don't know what, but they weren't doing it. Um, so because they weren't doing it, they're completely redundant in that formation. Mm. So it, there was a slight matchup, but by going four, it then forced the midfield to have to do those runs and it forced the, the team to push up the pitch as well because they're playing as a back four now. So we our centre our centre half start deep in the back three and then move up. One will move up uh, depending on which side the ball is on. So if it's on the mm. left, Jack O'Connell set off and Basham will tuck round to make like a two defenders marking the one striker. Um, but because they weren't doing that, we had to go to a back four to push up the pitch. Mm. It didn't necessarily work. But I saw that. I actually realised why he did that. But I'm going to agree with what you're about to say on Saturday. 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, I will certainly bow to your analytic knowledge there and <laughs> tactical knowledge. But uh, being a, my sort of, uh, I guess my half point was that uh, I, I saw the logic in that, even though, you know, I could see people around me going like, what the hell, we're, taking, we're defending and we've taken off a defender and brought on an attacker? Like, how does that work? Um, but yeah, the um, the Millwall game, uh, I can't remember who went off, but we brought on Lafferty for, was it Lafferty for Stearman when Stearman was possibly injured? I can't remember what the uh, what the actual change was, but we we went to um, yeah we went to a back three which had yes. Ender Stevens playing as the left centre back uh, with Lafferty outside of him. Uh, I don't believe I've seen Stevens play that position this season. Uh, he certainly, I would say, doesn't have the the physique and the build to do that. It felt um, I don't know. It, it felt like. Uh, a bit of an ask to get him to play there, I guess. But at the same time, you know, the, the goal is pretty much just an error of judgment on his part. And I guess, you know, it, even if he was six foot tall and, you know, built like a building, then uh, he probably wouldn't have, you know, been able to make up for that physically anyway. So it was a, a slightly weird situation to put him in, I thought. And I, I still don't really understand what the what the thinking was there, to be honest. Any Any thoughts yourself or is it just as baffling as I am? I'm slightly baffled. I, I you know... I'm sure you're not. I'm not saying you are, and I won't be criticising Wilder in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, there is a slight, there was a slight bafflement. But at the same time, Ender Stevens was a left left back before he came to us. You know, he wasn't this marauding left wing back that we would want him to be. So he was a defender. He is a defender by trade, and that ball was very defendable. You know, dangling a leg at it wasn't the way to attack that. Um, yeah, this is, it was a point I made. You know, on Twitter, I got into a good good debate with Danny Hall from the Sheffield Star and. Uh, Fair play to Danny, maybe keep you know fair point that it was an error, but I'm I'm not sure he's used to being in that channel, and I I don't think uh, I'm not sure anyone would would appreciate when you're not playing football at that level that those diagonals aren't something that Ender deals with at all. Mm. Um, this, this sounds stupid, and people might say, yeah, but you, you know, left back your diagonals go all the time, but the way we play our left wing backs, no, it doesn't. Because Jack O'Connell is so dominant in the air that he takes that whole channel away, mm. um, and it it did. It did cause the problem, and clearly, clearly it was a problem because Morrison had pulled off onto Stevens. Yeah, almost um, immediately. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just dictated by where the centre half had the ball, as in it was the the left side and centre half who was on the ball. Morrison had pulled off to Stevens to make that run. Um, it was poor defending. There's no defend. You know, I'm not defending Stevens if he just does what he should do, which is just attack that ball and win it any way possible. We're sat here, you know, same points as Millwall. Mm. So uh, yeah. Ender Stevens made an error, but um, I think you, you can say at least to defend him slightly. Not used to being there, but uh, that yeah. doesn't defend him, the defensiveness of the way he uh, attacked the situation. Yeah, I mean, you sent me. Let, let's continue to defend Ender because um, <laughs> you, you sent me some really interesting stats the other day, actually, which I, I wasn't aware of. Which uh, do, do you want to just lob those out there from a, an offensive point of view? Where you know people kind of. I think sometimes people, well, I guess people see the lack of end product from Stevens, you know, from every single cross, and it, it builds up this theme of like, oh, he's actually terrible uh, attacking wise. But yeah, you, you you brought up some stats which actually show he's he's pretty decent to um, one of the best in this position in the league. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to do like per ninety stats of these, so that, you know, these are going to be slightly skewed by minutes. It's also going to be skewed by the fact. Sheffield United are currently the highest crossing team in the league per mm. game. Um, so Ender probably puts in more crosses than most of these people I'm about to list. That is a consideration. However, the 
I've got his percentage here, so it doesn't really matter how many he's put in because his percentage shows how successful he is. Mm. Um, the, the big one for me was a lot, a lot of the narrative out there regarding Ender is that he, he doesn't do enough. You know, say we have offensive fullbacks, he doesn't do enough. But in terms of chances created, he's created 40 chances. Um, put that in context. So I picked some fullbacks from around the league, uh, all wingbacks, both left, left and right hand side. If I was to say Joe Bryan at Bristol City, I think a lot of people, especially around that Christmas time when, when Bristol were flying, would say Joe Bryan could well be a Premier League wingback. Um, mm. I, I think that's a fair comment. Well, Joe Bryan's only created 32 chances, um, so eight less than Stevens. Yeah. I think the best fullback in the league this year, or wingback, has been Barry Douglas at Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can deny that. The man has 14 assists. He's the leading assist leader in the league. Yeah. Um, He's created 65, so I mean that. Yeah, that's a lot, but that's in a Wolves team that play a lot more, kind of create a lot more, yeah, um, and have a lot of creative players. So uh, the main one for me was uh, Ryan Sessegnon. So Ryan Sessegnon is under EFL Player of the Year last night and the Young Player of the Year, mocked up all the awards, and who should probably be on the England plane in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm with um, you on that one. He, he played left back up until about December, well January time when Fulham got Matt Target on loan uh, from Southampton, so they could push him Sessegnon up to left wing. Um, which was a master trope, well done to their gaffer. Um, but he's uh, only created 51 chances, and that's today. That's including his left wing position. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Ender Stevens has created more chances than El Mahamedy. He's created more than, than Baldock. He's created more than Ryan, sorry, the same as Ryan Fredericks, who a lot of people argue should have been the fullback in the EFL team of the year. Mm. Uh, crossing percentage wise, this is a good one because a lot of people say Stevens can't put a ball in the box. His percentage of accurate accurate crosses. He's better than Baldock's, better than El Mohamedy's, better than Joe Bryan's, better than Sessegnon's, better than Frederick's, better than uh, George Friend. It's only slightly less than Barry Douglas, who is mm. known for his ability to put, put a good ball in the box. So, with, you know, I've not done the whole league. I just wanted to take some names that I knew were good fullbacks, if you think of people who are good fullbacks who played United this year. Yeah. Um, pretty much, Ender Stevens is, gonna, is in the top five, uh, offensively. Mm. I understand he's a defender as well. Uh, um, I don't have his defensive metrics. I'm sure he could be better. We can all think of the Snodgrass goal, the Villa scored, where he should have showed him on his right foot and didn't. But I think a lot of Stevens' mistakes come from he's, he does that much work and output both ways, puts that many miles and metres in. That sometimes he's either tired or sometimes he finds himself in a position that he's not quite used to. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's something for him to work on, to get used to being in positions where he's uncomfortable. But... Again, this is a man on a free transfer who's creating output that's in the top five in the league. Yeah, we need to be we need to be careful what we wish for. Yeah, indeed. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's worth repeating. You know, he's stepped up two divisions here from uh, from League Two to the Championship. Uh, from memory, he's played pretty much every game this season. Uh, I can't yeah. think of many slash any times where we've played Lafferty ahead of him. So. There's a lot of miles in those legs. Obviously, the the formation we play requires him and Baldock to get up and down the wing. Uh, a ton um but yeah i mean i, I wrote a um i wrote a piece about our defense um last week which uh, most people listening to this probably read because i published it uh sorry pushed it quite aggressively on this twitter feed but you know one of the things i kind of touched on very marginally in that was that i, I guess if we're if we're talking about upgrading our defense next season or our team generally then yeah you could say that oh it would be good for stevens to kind of you know, take another step forward. And yes, we could, you know, this is an area that we, we could improve in the future, but it's also going to be so far down our list of priorities, I think, for 
for areas we yeah. should be putting resource in next season. He's basically fine. I mean, the numbers you've thrown out there, uh, you know, would would point to him being, as you say, a, a kind of top five uh, left wing back in the championship based on his offensive output. If he can just improve a few of these kind of marginal things with concentration and positioning, etc., then he's going to be a, a more than above average left wing back, which is good to have because they cost an absolute fortune if you want a proper name, you know, just as just as any player would, I guess, any position that we want to improve on. So, yeah, um, yeah we, we go on, mate. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just you nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. Which is, he needs to improve those numbers. The chances are good. The, the crossing percentage. He puts in enough crosses to have a better accuracy than that. Um, and we give him enough ball. He is given the platform to give us those numbers. That's a key element, I would guess. Uh, in that, you know, other teams might not give their wing backs as much as we do. Um, but he needs to improve, but he's 24, and I think he will improve. He, he, I, I guarantee if you've got a Portsmouth fan and asked him, has Ender Stevens improved under Chris Wilder, they would say yes. Mm. You know, at, at this level, when we signed him in the summer, I wasn't sure he was going to be a starter, and he's he's definitely a starter. Um, so if people are thinking that we should be replacing Ender Stevens or that we should be negative about Ender Stevens for the season, not not on the Millwall game, that yes, we should be on the Millwall game, but as a season, please don't. Yeah. No, indeed. Um, a, a small clarification there, because we uh, yeah, we like to deal in facts on this podcast. But uh, Stevens is actually is actually twenty seven. But you know the the overall. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think is it. I, I made this mistake uh, a while ago as well. I think it's Baldock that's actually twenty four. But you know, this is a pretty a, a pretty negligible difference, really. He's still you know youngish with with scope to improve. So um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, all right, let's... right, I read the wrong person on the squad list. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, all right, so, I mean, I mentioned an article that, uh, that I wrote there, but uh, you yourself finally foraged into the world of blog writing publication this weekend as well with, um, yeah, with a really interesting and in-depth piece on, um, on our attacking numbers, I guess, which I, I strongly recommend um, people go and read. It's over on... Um, it's on Bramall Lane HQ, right? Which, uh, but obviously you can um, check it out on, on Jay's Twitter feed as well. I'll just look at mine, um, uh, well, the podcast feed rather, and you will see it shared on there as well. But I mean, is there anything you want to kind of uh, quickly call out from this piece for for anybody who hasn't read it, who uh, to try and suck them in to make sure they they go and check it out? Yeah, I guess the the main part of what I did, other than just look at you know are our strikers missing big chances, which is big discussion that I hear all the time me and my mates can we get better than Clark can we get better than Sharp if you look at the goals they scored a lot of people say no but can we you know uh, are they actually scoring what they should be is basically what I've done but I've also broke down the season in half um, so kind of up to up to November December time our performance um, in a lot of different areas so kind of with Paul Coots and also with that, that first few months of the season where we were flying mm. Uh, and then kind of December onwards, we lost Coots and also kind of teams got used to our style, that, that whole narrative there and the whole, um, you know, I hate the word drop in performance because I think we're about to talk about how that might not be the case. Mm. Um, but yes, that whole drop in performance narrative as well. Um, so so I, I've, I've split the season in two and done the numbers on that. Uh, it's put some interesting results out. Uh, it, it, don't want to... I don't want to give the game away. Hopefully a lot of people have read it um, and will continue to read it because I think it is interesting. It was certainly interesting diving into the numbers. I think the most interesting point that you found and that I did as well, which was our style uh, over the two parts of the season doesn't seem to have changed. Mm. So 
we're still having this we're having the exact same number of attempts per game on goal we're mm-hmm. putting in slightly more crosses but it's negligible it's a, yeah. it's a slight so you can call that the same and we're putting in the exact same amount of through balls per game so there is no difference to our style which i found fascinating as i thought there was um uh, people say with coots uh you know we, we were a bit more in- i thought this as well with coots we were a bit more incisive mm. uh maybe a you know, we played wide, but then we could come back through the middle and kind of cut teams open. Not the case. Yeah. Um, the case simply was in the early part of the season that our chances, our strikers were converting chances that um, I wouldn't say they shouldn't have, but they were converting the chances they should have and converting ones that historically they would have less chance of. Uh, and that's just slowed down. So yeah. their performance has, has it slowed down to the average and then it's now gone below the average. So now we are converting chances um at a lower rate than what we should be which is why we've seen in recent weeks this whole argument of oh we're missing sitters well we are um but we weren't previously uh, and i think the numbers are just interesting around that to see that but uh, along the league i've done a league comparison for this as well we're not unique this is not a sheffield united problem okay um so the, you know because that, that's in there uh, you know big chances missed sheffield united are not top mm. uh, so yes our strikers are missing chances, but who else are? Well, British on the longer at Middlesbrough is. Well, Lee Gregory at Millwall is. So strikers that we would, as fans, might talk about in the pubs and on forums that we might want to sign or could sign in a dream world, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so it's an interesting read. Uh, there's a, there, there is a lot of numbers in there. And there is some expected goals in there, which some people like and don't like. Um, but it, 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 it makes for interesting things. Um, it puts Billy Sharp in a decent light as well, because... Despite what any of us might think of what Bill does, his output per game is decent. <laughs> it's still good. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just goes back, harps back to that thing we said earlier, which was we've got 30 goals out of two strikers. What more do we really want out of those two strikers? Or is it that the other areas of the team need to give us more? Whether that's you know defending better, whether that's midfield goals, set-piece goals, which I'm sure we'll quickly touch on, but... The strikers are kind of doing their job. Uh, they can do better, but they've done enough for me, uh, and we need to provide them with more support. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting, uh, almost inca- counterintuitive thing to say, isn't it? After your forwards have missed a load of chances, where you, you can say like, no, over the course of the season, the strikers have more than done their job. Like, forget this tiny sample of two or three games where you know we should have hit the back of the net from these relatively easy chances. Um, these people have been playing much better than we have any real right to expect them to play um and it's not actually an area of concern although i I will just say quickly that uh you know there's a very good chance i think that um both clark and sharp won't be able to perform to this level next season so it is an area that we will need to look to um look to upgrade on in the summer i think as a a matter of priority probably but um yeah i think that's uh i think that's more going to be my my next uh my next blog topic actually if it doesn't make it onto this podcast because uh i've got a few things i want to i want to chip in at that but um all right mate i I think we're running a little bit out of time so is it anything you want to quickly just uh just touch on before we finish up or uh are we good yeah do you want to do five minutes on um the table you posted about the form yeah yeah i will do actually so um shout out to uh to roy g biv stalwart of the s24su forum (laughs) uh most united fans will know from uh from his roy's views from the opposition fans which is always a an interesting uh enlightening sometimes uh 
<laughs> anger-inducing read, I suppose. But anyway, he published uh, he published um, the championship table as it stands from the first of January onwards. Where you know I, I see occasionally people say, "Oh, you know, our form since Christmas or whenever is uh, is relegation form." You know, it's 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 terrible. We're you know barely above a point a game, and that's a real worrying sign for next season. And I think this table throws that into um, into a slightly different context. So. You know, in the 17 games since New Year's Day, uh, United sit ninth, which is coincidentally where they sit in the the real life table as well. And sure, you know, it's only 24 points from 17 games, but the other the point of this table is, um, you know, most other teams are not doing as well as you might think anyway. So that that ninth position, those 24 points, that's only four points off Middlesbrough in sixth. And it's uh, let me just quickly check this. It's it's 12 points off uh, Sunderland, who sit in the final relegation spot um, as it stands on this table. So, yeah, I think the point is, you know, as much as we've kind of had this this dip after, I guess, in recent months where we've failed to take chances and, you know, turned in some, you know, frankly, rubbish performances like like the whole game, for example, and the majority of the Barnsley game, taken in the context of every other team for this half of the season, we're fine. You know, there's a solid base here going forward. And, you know, we we tend to be talking about on these podcasts about how frustrated we are that we're not doing better. Well, that, that just shows that even our baseline of like, oh, this is so annoying that we've not got the points we deserved. It's still pretty good. It's still upper mid table and very much in touching distance of the best six teams in the league. Yeah. Just, just to add to that, Ben, as well. Um, as you say, you've hit on there, that's our baseline. Well, if we look at kind of expected goals and expected performance, taking into consideration expected goals against and for, we actually should have. So we had 24 um, on that table. Um, from games where we've played better than the opposition in expected goals, we should actually have 39, which is the same as Millwall in second in that table. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we don't have that. So here's what, here's what you could have won. Um, but that just goes to show that in terms of performance, we haven't dropped. Um, results have for various reasons uh, yeah. and we don't have the hours worth to talk about that but the performance is still there so this is a United team that are very much a very good championship team Yeah, um, and I think that's the key for, that you were trying to make really for next year people are a little bit worried we might sack to a, a mid-table team or a, a lower mid-table even relegation team of course this could happen uh, who knows what the summer will throw at us regardless of where we are and what league but Performance indicator-wise and the baseline there of where we're at, we're fine. Um, we should be bubbling around the top 10, top 6 next year as well with the current squad we have uh, and the current style we play. So I'm certainly not worrying or panicking. And I think, we've, uh, as we've touched on today, and we'll, we'll touch on in future pods and, and blogs, I guess, uh, with a couple of additions and improvements, this this side can go a long, long way. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I've, you know, I've watched enough terrible uh, United seasons to... You know, to to think that I, I count myself more as a realist than an optimist, and um, yeah, just the last couple of years, uh, are so much there's so much encouraging, so many encouraging signs that even when things aren't going as well as we want them to be, I, I kind of you know when you get a bit of distance, it's like, oh, but we're so close to becoming something really good, and I just think, yeah, there's there's so many there's so many things you can point to this season where it's like, if we'd just done this a little bit better, if we just had somebody who could do this a little better, or if we just managed this game slightly better, then we would be so much higher up the league, you know, rather than like, oh my God, our defence is terrible. Uh, we can't score any goals. Uh, we need to sign 50 million pounds worth of players just to tread water next season. So yeah, I think that table kind of backs up. Um, it, I was a little surprised to see we were so high, but 
it does back up um yeah what I, what my feelings are that you know barring some kind of disaster or something that we we can't foresee then um yeah we should be around the same kind of area of the table next season as well if not slightly higher all all going well um yeah, and don't forget we're about to get a 10 million pound player back in the summer in coot so yeah indeed um and yeah hopefully uh i look forward to seeing him starting again hopefully on the first day of next season as well but i guess we're not done this season just yet so we've got uh we've got birmingham on saturday uh and we've got preston at home which is 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 with some sadness the the last home game of the season i've, I've really enjoyed uh enjoyed my season ticket this season there's not many not been many dull games at all and uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully we'll just keep our season going for one more week i guess because um yeah that's and just just see what happens i suppose but um yeah, anything, uh, any final thoughts or uh, or anything you want to you want to quickly plug before we finish up? Just come on, you red and white wizards. <laughs> that's that's very succinctly put, I think. Um, all right, so let's wrap this up there then. So uh, yeah, do follow Jay on Twitter, which is uh, at Blades Analytic with an underscore underneath uh, between the blades and the analytic, of course. Um, you will get uh, more insight and information on United than. Uh, than anyone else will be able to throw at you on the internet. So it's a, a very strong recommend from me. And do also check out his article as well, um, which he published this week about our attack, which yeah puts some put some numbers on the on our overall kind of uh, feelings and perceptions of how this season's gone, I guess. Um, and yeah, uh, you can obviously follow the Twitter account for this podcast as well, which is at Bladespod if you're not doing already. Um, as I mentioned, I wrote an article about our defence this season and and why I think it's it's actually better than the numbers have kind of shown. Um, so please check that out if you've not done so already. And, and thanks to everyone who, who has, which is a surprisingly large number of people. Actually, I wasn't expecting. I was thinking probably 20 people would read this, but it was it was significantly more than that. So that was encouraging. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Jay, so much for uh, for giving up some time and uh, and some lunch break to uh, to chat to me today. And uh, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully have you on again soon. And uh, yeah, thanks once again, mate. Yeah, no problem, mate. Thank you very much. And just to, 10 seconds on your article, it is absolutely brilliant for anyone that hasn't read it yet. Um, it, it puts a lot of myth-busting and perceptions about our defence out of sync. Um, and it, it puts a bit of fact and evidence behind it all. And it, it shows that, you know, basically this, this United defence, which is put together on £3.47 and a pork pie, <laughs> is performing outrageously in a league of, of monsters. Um, yeah. So please, please do give his article a read as well as my own, because it is a, a, an exceptional effort. Thank you very much. I, I did like your, uh, I think it was after the Middlesbrough game, your uh, your phrase about how um, Wilder has constructed constructed this team out of pocket money and magic, which <laughs> hopefully wow. we'll have a bit bit more to spend in the summer, fingers crossed. Um, all right, buddy. Thanks once again. And uh, yes, we will, uh, we will keep in touch as always, of course. Lovely. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.